everyone has some sort of a closet that has become too small. A closet is no place to live, and I want to support as many people as I can in stepping out of that prison into the fullness of life that is waiting for them on the other side of that door. This is Nancy Shadlock from Centered Life Coaching. Join me in listening to these coming out chronicles. Get curious about their stories and then go see what good things are waiting for you on the other side of your closet door. Today's guest is so colorful and fun and way outside the box. There's, yeah, there's just no boxes. And I think that you're going to have your mind blown in some ways and also be inspired to think about your own coming outs and how how you can let go of some of the things that you worry about as far as what other people think about you. Um, I know I was super inspired today by Angela's talk and I think you'll enjoy it. So jump jump in. Angela Loria, it's so awesome to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. I can't wait to hear what coming out story you're going to share with us because I have a hunch you have a few. I do have a few, um, but there's definitely one that was like a big pivotal moment for me. Um, I think I always... uh, I I don't think I really realized how much your coming out story could change you when it's really, um, I don't know, when you come out kind of for the right reason, not for other people, Mm. but when you're really doing it for yourself and it's not about what people's reactions will be, but Mm -hmm. really what your own reaction is to yourself. (laughs) Right. Having congruence internally. Yes, exactly. You said that perfectly. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, what one? I was going to say, so you just want me to jump in? I didn't know how how I could handle that. So, um, well, first of all, I want to, I want to go back to my very first rock concert and uh, which was U2. And oh, when I had it, you can there be any other concert after that? After. Really? Well, <laughs> like a couple pivotal things happened to me at this U2 concert. I joined, it was my first concert. Great. Uh, they had Amnesty International there. And I signed up on like a yellow legal pad and I started writing letters to get prisoners of war out of their prisons. And I don't know if it was at the amnesty table or somewhere else at this event, but I was very into having lots of buttons on my jean jacket and I got a button there. I think I paid for it and it said, I'm straight, but not narrow, which Mm -hmm. I thought was the greatest button of all time. And it was an upside down pink triangle. Remember when that was our symbol? So I just dated myself. Don't worry. About so I had this upside down pink triangle and it said, I'm straight, but not narrow. And I always had it on my jean jacket. It was like a major source of pride. And when I got to college, freshman year of college, oh, I, so I want to say I was in maybe eighth grade. I was maybe 12 or 13 when I got this button. When I got to college, like five years later at 18, 
I had a girlfriend really, I don't know, maybe the first week of college, I was dating this girl and I had this button on and she said, well, I guess it's time to take that button <laughs> off, which I thought was really weird because I still felt straight, even though I had a girlfriend, I was like, mm -hmm. why would I take this button that is such a part of my identity off? I did eventually take the button off, but I just never, I couldn't the label thing was really hard for me. It, I always said, I date people, not genders. Mm -hmm. That was really easy. I, and I always did. I just, I feel like I dated people. But the label thing, I just could never really get my groove. And so I probably dated 80% men and like cisgendered men. And so it felt, I don't know, pushy or not my place to identify as being bi or being queer. Cause it just felt like I was co-opting someone else's agenda. Like here I am, I look straight. I've got a straight boyfriend. We appear straight in society. So why am I gonna like bust in on this agenda? So I, I never, like my friends and family knew that I was bi, they had met my girlfriends, but because most of the time I was in a straight relationship, I was always worried about what other people thought about me coming out. Hmm. And so, God, when was it? It was probably three or four years ago now. I actually came out as bi in a very public way on national coming out day. Hmm. And which is like, you know, whatever. Um, but I did a Facebook post and I did an email to my list. And even though my close friends and family all knew, none of my clients did because they'd only ever seen, seen me with a straight man hmm. in a straight relationship and coming out was so powerful for me because that was when I realized how much of myself I had shut down because I told myself it wasn't my place to share my journey being queer because I frankly, because I could pass as straight, didn't have to deal with a lot of things that a lot of gay people have to deal with. Mm -hmm. And so I dismissed my whole inner struggle and some of the challenges that I had through my whole life because I didn't have some of the other ones. Mm -hmm. So that was really, that was really a big turning point for me was being willing to claim that publicly, even though I didn't have to, or I had chosen to pass for so many years. And a lot of that choice I really realized was um, like not wanting to, I, I never lied. I would always tell stories about girlfriends, like people knew, but I just didn't want to make people uncomfortable. Like I didn't want to, mm -hmm. you know, I'll just make myself smaller so as not to, you know, offend everyone, anyone, or, you know, make anything difficult for anyone else. And I didn't realize how much I had done that 
and how frankly fucking exhausting it is. Mm-hmm. Was there like a, a breaking point or a turning point that caused you to actually come out above it? I don't remember like which of the many <laughs> breaking points, but it was all part of the attack and assault on the queer community during the Donald Trump presidency. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a couple trans employees at the time. It was around the North Carolina bathroom bill period. And it was, um, you know, I've always been, always been a very loud activist for LGBTQ rights. And I've always taken a very loud stand. Maybe um, what's, there's like a Shakespearean line, the lady doth protest too much. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was always like very vociferous about it. And then I just found myself so emotionally raw all the time. Mm-hmm. And finally I was like, oh, there's more here you know, it's kind of how I started this story is like, it was always about other people for me. It was always about the struggle for civil rights. It was always about gay marriage. Like I never missed a protest. I like, it was always, I always looked at it from the activist perspective and I just never had time to really go through my own experience because it never seemed like enough, like so many people had it so much harder that I never acknowledged what I faced was really fucking hard too. Mm -hmm. What was hardest for you or what were some hard things for you? Um, my, (laughs) my family, (laughs) My family's greatest wish was just to like have a normal kid, (laughs) like just all the normal things and to have, uh, to be straight, to want to have a normal job and to be an employee and to not stand out. And um, I probably heard the phrase, don't rock the boat so many times. I had this cousin who was gay, obviously gay. And my mom would say like, look, we love Michael. Michael is a part of our family. It just, it has nothing to do with who he's sleeping with. So why would he need to talk about it? Why would he bring somebody home? It's, that has nothing to do with how much we love him. You know, like, we love you. Just could you not be who you are? That <laughs> just be... don't talk about who you are. <laughs> yeah. Just if you could just tone it down and be a totally different person, because we love you. It was the constant message I got from every corner about how I dressed, about my interests, about who I wanted to date, about my career interests, like just every single aspect of me was like, we love you. Just don't do that. Don't like that. Don't be that way. Mm -hmm. Look around. Nobody else is like that. 
And this seemed because I am by this seemed like one I could just give, like, let me give them that. Right. Yeah. Let me just give them that. This'll just be easier. I'll just talk about boyfriends around you, not girlfriends. Yeah. I'll just give this to them. And it was like cutting off a huge part of who I was and everyone knew, but the request was don't ask, don't tell. And I was like, okay. Like I drive you nuts on everything else. Right. I'm not going to have a normal job. I'm not going to dress normally. Right. And I certainly didn't stop talking about political issues. I didn't stop, you know, acting as an advocate and as an activist, but as long as I wasn't bringing a girl home, Mm -hmm. as long as I wasn't pushing that issue. And like my family, I know they would be like, oh, Jesus Christ, Angel. Like they, the other thing was like, no matter what I do, they don't believe it anyway. They're like, oh, she's just being dramatic again. Right. So I'm like, they're not gonna believe who I am anyway. So. I guess I'll just give them what they want. Mm -hmm. And so I think part of what, uh, when I came out, you know, during the Trump administration at some point, it was probably 2017, I think. Um, But when I came out in that more public way, which my family like never talked about, the whole request is like, don't talk about it. But the acknowledgement to myself was like this pretending charade. I am 45 years old, however old I was then, 45-ish. Like this pretending charade, it is now officially silliness. Mm-hmm. Like what? Like what is happening? It's so funny how, you know, I've got a, an eight-figure business, a staff of 40, I, you know, own who I am so confidently in so many ways. And then like in this one area, I was like, well, I don't need to talk about who I really am. (laughs) But in every other way, I'm like, show up as who you are a hundred fucking percent. Like be yourself all the way. But I'm like, yeah, but this, is it really necessary? (laughs) And that shift just for me, was such a, I don't, I think it's because I'm heading towards 50, but it was just like relaxing into the truth of who I am and no, um, you know, dropping a layer of apology. I didn't even realize was there. Hmm. Wow. That must've had like implications in your body, in the way that you show up in the world. What did you notice? Yeah, I think for me, the biggest thing was, um, what what do they say? Like, as you mature, you mellow. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's like a softening around it for me. I think a lot of, don't get me wrong, I still think of myself as an activist, but I think a lot of my activism was covering up mm-hmm. for my own pain yeah and I'm like I can see how even even that button it was like this symbol of like 
I am an activist. I'm for all the people, but no, it's not me. <laughs> Isn't that so great? Oh yeah. God, I wish I saved that button. <laughs> I loved it so much. I remember picking it out. I'm like, this is my identity. That was my mm -hmm. identity. Yeah, it was really interesting. And then that, um, yeah, much more of a, a presence inside myself, an internalization instead of an externalization. So like less anger mm -hmm. and righteousness, although I'm still angry and righteous. <laughs> Adults can pick their own bathrooms. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Like, but, um, but less anger and righteousness and more of a softening of like, yeah, that was not easy growing up in my fucking racist family, in my fucking homophobic town. Mm -hmm. And that was an interesting survival tool. Like I found a very cool way to get my needs met. Everyone knew I was an activist. Mm -hmm. No one said homophobic shit to me. Right. So hmm. yeah, got my needs met. That's what, yeah, that's the main thing at, at that age. We just have to get through. And right. You did it. And yeah. now you can kind of relax into, oh, this is who I am. And you all can know this now. Yeah. This episode was brought to you by Centered Life Coaching. And I've got a special new offering I'm excited to share with you. Does life feel a little bit crazy right now? There's a lot of hustle and bustle. There's a lot of noise. It's hard to hear yourself. I got you. Join me on the front porch, away from the hustle of life. Sit down, take a breath, share what's on your mind and heart. This is where you'll discover your true self. Come and hear yourself into being. You'll be astounded at what you notice. There's a link for the front porch sessions in the show notes, or you can sign up at centered.ca. I'm waiting on the front porch for you. Are you coming? Was there fallout with your list and family or friends? Uh, I think for me, it was all... It was all positive in that, yeah, it was all, it was all positive. Uh, I think the biggest thing is how many people, um, so one of the things we keep track of in our company are just diversity statistics in general, we're interested in that. And we thought that our staff and our clients were about 15% LGBTQ. And it turned out it was about 40%. Mm. So, so many more people came out to us mm. in very like magnanimous ways. And so many clients and even staff members told me, they chose to work here because of our policies or chose to, you know, do their books with us mm -hmm. because of our LGBTQ friendly policies. Right. Um, and I had, you know, no idea that that 
influenced those. I knew for other people it influenced their decisions, but those people I didn't know. Yeah. So even people who I had two different clients who said, I have a trans kid. And part of why I picked your company is because of my kid. Like I'm straight, my husband's straight, but we have a Mm -hmm. trans kid and we're really careful about spending money with trans friendly companies. Mm -hmm. So that was cool. Like then they wouldn't have necessarily told me, but it opened up those conversations. And I was really grateful for that. And then the number of by women, especially who shared with me how painful it was to be in a straight relationship and not be able to share that part of who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very different, you know, even at, even at, it was gay and lesbian. And then it was LGBT, like pretty quickly before we started adding our other letters. But bisexual men have a very different reputation than bisexual women. Hmm. And being a bisexual woman, I've dated lesbians who, you know, there's a there's a lot of feelings about bisexual women among lesbians. <laughs> Lots of feelings. And that's, I've never, you know, like it's hard to fit in in those groups because they're like, mm, you, are you with us or you're not? One of us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then I've been in like groups of just like lesbian women where I've had like lesbian women's circles where it's 15 women that are all lesbians and I'm, kind of in, kind of out. Like, am I in that club? Am I not in that club? Then I've dated bisexual women and that's been like, okay, we're both like, we both feel this same way, but there's definitely less of a club. Like it's less of a club. Mm -hmm. It's like, what group are we actually in? We're the, we're the misfits. We kind of are and in a very different way than bisexual men. I'm bisexual men have their own thing, Hmm. but it's like very different than ours. And then I've been like, you know, in college and high school where bisexual just meant slutty. And there's that whole thing that bisexual women get like, you know, guys will be like, will you make out with this girl for me? Like uh, what was popular when I was in college? Uh, girls gone wild or some sort of like, you know, girls making out in clubs. That was like the super hot thing. I don't know. Maybe it still is the hot thing. I'm not sure. It's been a long time. I'm 48, but like, so that's like, there's an over-sexualization I think of bisexual women that is a part like, sure. Like sex is a part of it. That's a part I explored. I got that one covered, but like there's a whole lot more to that aspect of my identity. And then I have this whole other weird, the place where I identify most is queer Mm -hmm. because my parenting partner, which is not a romantic relationship, but I've been in a 13 year relationship with a woman that we've lived together and raised our kids together. 
but it's not romantic, but it's extremely intimate. We've like co-parented and raised a family together. Hmm. So, but then we both date men, but our primary relationship has been with each other. Hmm. But so, not sexual, not romantic, just like. But not support, sexual, not love. romantic. Hmm. But I, you know, like I dated women at that time, but then I take them home to my wife and kids <laughs> who we have a house together and go on vacation together. It's like, I don't know, life is fucking complicated. Yeah. And the, you know, I stopped. I think when I came out, the biggest thing is I stopped trying to be what other people expect bisexual to be. And I really claimed my own identity in it. And when you're in that advocate activist role, you're always talking about a, um, like a hypothetical, Mm. you know, like the idea is like, hypothetically, you would know who you wanted to date, but like now it was about me. And I was like, oh, my life does not fit any labels at all. There's no letters. I Plus, what was the plus in the LGBTQ? <laughs> I, I'm the plus. That's yeah. me. Yeah. I'm whatever the other one is. <laughs> so I am 100% queer. That I am of that, I am sure. <laughs> does not, does not, uh, yeah. So I actually think that in that you're actually more normal than you realize, which you probably aren't, aren't actually wanting to be normal, but. um, Well, it's interesting. I, there was one before I came out. God, when was this? Had to be maybe 2012, 2013. I posted my whole situation. This is my partner. We live together. It's asexual. Like, this is my girlfriend. We're not polyamorous. It's not like, here's my girlfriend, but this is my wife and our kids, but we're not. And we, and the, and the whole thing, who else has a, real, a situation like this? Like I posted it somewhere. I can't remember where. And I was like, there must be a lot of people who have this situation and literally like no one. Crickets. Yeah. Total crickets. And I tried, it was like, I, I wanted to do a website. God, now I can't remember the name of it. It was before I started my company. That's how I know it was 2012. And it was called Urban Families. I wanted to do a book or a website. And I'm like, we must not be the only one. There must be tons of urban families. And I'm going to find other urban families like ours and profile them. And I forgot what my whole plan was, but I literally could find no one else like us. Hmm. And then I would find people who'd be like, our family is exactly like yours, totally non-traditional family. My husband and I had our own kid and then my sister died and we adopted her two-year-old child. (laughs) And I'd be like, similar. Not quite. (laughs) Okay. Not really picking up what I'm putting down. I literally could find nothing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, there must be, but where are they? And I kept insisting someone should do a TV show about us, but. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yes. But what what I think you're normal at is that 
I think a lot of people don't fit into the binaries, but they're just playing the part. Mm -hmm. It's the like a lot of people wish they had that freedom or like that courage to step into the freedom of stepping out of those boxes. Yeah. Like, I I don't think sexuality is as cut and dried as we've made it. And I think as life progresses, there will be more opening up and more trying different things and seeing what is fulfilling and what works and like what is fulfilling and what works about your relationship. I'm are you, you yeah are you like I, I would like I would love to know that if you want to share what's fulfilling about my relationship with Mila mm-hmm. oh it's what everybody wants in a relationship <laughs> it's it's very it's so funny it's like if you took all the pressure out of what marriage was supposed to be mm. you would have the relationship that you wanted I'm sure of it so Me and Mila have a great story. We, um, when we met, we were both coming out. We had babies that were almost the exact same age. And we were in the middle of coming out of super crapola marriages. I needed a nanny because I had a really hard job and a long commute. And she needed a place to live because she was moving out with her um, husband. So she moved in with me, with her baby, who was almost the same age as my baby. So our kids are like twins mm-hmm. and um, and they look like twins. So Mila <laughs> is Serbian and um, Sophia's dad is Filipino. So Sophia is half Filipino, half Serbian. My son is half Indian and half Italian. Mm-hmm. But particularly now he's six feet and she's five feet, but particularly when they were babies, they look like absolute twins. Everyone's like, they look exactly the same, even though like none none of the same DNA, but they're a hundred percent siblings. So she moved in with me as the nanny and she was in charge of all the home and kids stuff cooking and cleaning and getting the kids to their activities. And I was in charge of like making money and all of the, you know, support role kind of stuff. And I, I did my job really well and she did her job really well. And the one thing we always commented on, and I remember this was super early on. One of the first things we did is we went to Sesame place with the kids and there was traffic and we got lost and it was really fun. Hmm. And I had in my marriage, when there was traffic and we got lost, it was not really fun. Right. I had no idea it could be really fun if there was traffic and you got lost. <laughs> and in the 13 years since it was, yeah, May. So 13 years in May we've had traffic, gotten lost, you know, pandemic, we've had so many crises and it's always fun and easy and light. And it always makes things better. Like when things are really shitty, if we're together at one point, our children, I think tried to burn our house down. (laughs) We had gone to New York for the night and we like left them. Who did we leave them with? With the 
we leave them with, we had an exchange student. I think we left them with the 18 year old exchange student and there was fire and the police came. It was very bad. And we're in New York and we're screaming at the children from New York city. Like we're going to kill you. And then we like hang up the phone, laugh hysterically and go to dinner. Like, I mean, we like punish the children appropriately when we got home, but just like all the shitty and hard things of parenting are so much better with her. We don't always agree. We don't always see eye to eye, but we've shared like every moment of the parenting journey as the absurdity of it all. <laughs> a lot of it is, you know, threatening to kill our children. Once we went on a cruise, I think they were maybe five and six and we kicked them out of the stateroom and like took their keys and told them not to come back. It's good. We're great parents. <laughs> we did a few minutes later, go get them and return them to the room. But yeah, it's just, um, but there's no, there's no pressure. Like she, we met because I hired her to be the nanny or whatever, but we very quickly just became a partnership and a family. And we have just had this commitment to getting through the, parenting is so ridiculously hard. I'm not sure if you've been informed yet, but. I've got two, three-year-olds. So yeah, I hear you. Yeah, well, we right now have two 15-year-olds. So (laughs) I'm just gonna tell you, we thought three sucked. We had two three-year-olds. We now have two 15-year-olds. And we, on the daily, send each other pictures of our children at three when things were much easier. um, Yeah, I think when you have, I think I really do. I'm like not a poly person at all. But there are some things that polyamory people say that I think we kind of do inherently when they're like, you can't expect everything from one person. Mm-hmm. So like we've always done our lives together, vacations, holidays, raising the kids, but we've never expected each other. We've never expected the things you expect from romance. It's very different. Romance is a very different thing than we do hard things together. hmm Right, like, and, the, and there's a rush from that, and like a intensity of connection from doing the hard things together. Yeah, like I know if I have to go. Oh, actually, here's the thing. Um, Jesse, our son, is playing football in two hours away in the hot heat. Not a fan of the hot heat, and so I'm like, "Hey, Jesse's got a football game tomorrow. Do you want to take a ride with me?" And so we'll drive to Williamsburg. We will drop Jesse off. I don't know. We'll drive around. We'll probably like buy makeup at a CVS and sit in the car and spend as little time in the hot heat as we can. But that girlfriend kind of activity around your kids is like mixing that and then not having to worry about it has nothing to do with like sex or romance or I'm not mad about wherever, like she has her own bedroom and whether she did her laundry or my laundry or like 
-hmm. And we do have a lot of finances intertwined, but a lot of them are like, we don't like our retirement accounts aren't. So I don't, I mean, I guess in some ways our retirement accounts are. I don't know. I just think there are things about our romantic relationships that are a lot more fun because they don't include raising kids. Yeah. Raising kids and romance do not go hand in hand. Yeah. I don't know who put those two things together. And I understand <laughs> how it works. I but I don't want to raise kids with anyone I'm doing anything romantic with. It is the least romantic activity of all the activities. <laughs> it's not, it's very difficult. It's very difficult. Do you think that your relationship will continue on even after the kids are out of the house? Like, hmm. What's your thoughts? Yeah, I don't think you ever get to be done raising kids. I assume after our kids are out of the house, they'll, I don't know, use meth and go to jail and <laughs> do something terrible that I'll need to call Mila for. But yeah. do you think you'll keep living together? Um, yeah, we've gone through, she actually just moved out and moved in with a boyfriend. It's all very exciting. Oh. Um, but we've gone through different like periods, but we're like our primary people, family relationships. So mm -hmm. yeah, I think, yeah. I can't imagine we wouldn't be where, mm -hmm. I mean, I can't imagine not being Sophia's mom and mm -hmm. no matter where she lives. Yeah. Right now she's in Egypt. It's all very exciting. Whoa. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So, mm -hmm. but it's a different, it's an alternative approach to family that I wasn't looking for but it just makes so much sense to me now to like separate romance from the primary activities of raising a family. I think that's part of what's, I think that's part of why our family is so solid and stable. Cause it's like, I'm not expecting certain mm -hmm. things that I would expect from Right. You know, there's not all these other fluctuating dynamics. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, Mila's the one who, you know, was there going through building a business together, going through, like, she's mm -hmm. just been through everything. And I think it's hard for a romantic relationship to go through that. Yeah. You change so much and the things we expect from our romantic partners. Yeah. So. And is she part of your business and your husband part of your business? Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yep. She's, uh, she does, uh, she's my chief of staff and he's my chief financial officer. So <laughs> amazing. I know it's like a, I don't know, some sort of musical or something. I'm not sure what, <laughs> but it works. Yeah. It's awesome. It's an adventure. So my last question is, what's your next coming out chapter? I think it really is. Um, actually, this is kind of an interesting one. I really do think it Because the other ones weren't very interesting at <laughs> right? all. Thank you for finally well, getting to the interesting stuff. My, yeah, I've, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> I think it does have to do with our kids going off to college. Because I, I never didn't have like our kids were at gay pride rallies from the time they were 
two. We had them in a double stroller at gay pride rallies. But um, it's interesting. Uh, they've always, everyone just assumes Mila and I are lesbians. We're, we don't even bother to explain. It's way too complicated. So Jesse and Sophia have grown up with, you know, I have two moms. And Sophia seems not phased by it, but Jesse is annoyed by the whole fucking thing. Mm. He's really like angry about it and embarrassed by it. And, you know, like he even texts me, he's like, if you come to the football game, like you and Mila should stay in the car. Like, so um, I think not having kids at home will be a whole new adventure in freedom and being able to really um, fully express who I am. Right. Um, cause there's a lot of, I mean, I definitely don't want to embarrass the kids mm -hmm. and even social media, I think, I mean, I have a very big social media presence and obviously as has been explained many times, Facebook is for old people, but like, not that I want to do anything on TikTok, but there are things I don't do on social media cause my kids would be horrified. There are things I don't do that I might, um, that I think there'll be kind of a different freedom when the kids, they're both planning on going away to college and when they kind of move into more adulthood, um, things will probably take a different chapter. Mm -hmm. We'll see. But that's kind of what I think is um, being... There was a phase of being in my 20s, I think it was the slutty bisexual phase, um, but of being in my 20s and um, being queer, which was like about a lot of travel and parties and clubs and concerts and great times. Like that was awesome. And then I went through the, I'm going to have baby. And I went through the IVF period of, you know, baby making and having dry ice shipped to my home and <laughs> that whole period and getting all my, you know, whatever, uh, legal paperwork with my gay friends to try and figure out which one of my gay boyfriends was going to help me make a baby. And then my thirties were all about having kids and being with Mila. And it was like the happy gay family period. And then there'll be this whole new chapter when the kids move out. And I am experiencing some of that now, even though they're only 15, but Sophia's spending the summer in Europe. Jesse's been off at football camp and they're starting to have much less to do with us. Mm -hmm. And it feels like it happened overnight, weirdly. Mm -hmm. It just feels like all of a sudden they're moving into this new phase where we're kind of somewhat necessary for transportation. <laughs> and that seems to be the status we've been relegated to. So, yeah. 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 To somehow like meld the 
slutty bisexual era with the mellow older mm -hmm. just like this is who I am yeah and it's kind experience. of what whatever you'll experience it's okay. yeah it's weird because parenting is uh, I don't know if it's an equalizer I do think it's different being queer and a parent but not that different parenting takes over your life mm -hmm. like it's a big couple decade commitment you know I'm 15 years into this and I'm like mm, that was a very big decision <laughs> really like and it's so identity shifting obviously not having a whole lot to do with your you know whatever sexual orientation having a lot more to do with your whatever parenting orientation but now it's like who am I if my kids aren't the main part of my identity mm -hmm. yeah it's a whole nother coming out yeah so that's kind of what's next I think that's what they call the empty nest I can't believe we're already getting ready for that it seems <laughs> like just yesterday they were babies but yeah well we'll check back in with you and hear what that chapter has yeah. entailed and we who knows we could be in jail there's still time <laughs> I can't wait to hear it <laughs> thanks for joining us today Angela thanks for having me thanks for listening to the coming out chronicles if you enjoyed it and you think it would be helpful for someone else please share it with them if you'd like to connect with me, reach out on social. I'd love to support you in the next chapter of your coming out story. I can help you know yourself, free yourself, and be yourself. Until next time, this is Nancy Shadlock from Centered Life Coaching.